Start jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. You should be able to hear the magnetic resonance. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. And on both channels. Both channels. Both channels. <laughs> tickety tickety boo. That doesn't sound as loud as it could. It doesn't look as loud as it could. Now you speak. Check, check. And and now you No, it's about the same. Okay. Ma'am, would you... Allison? Yes. Yeah, hi. Okay, good. We have waveform. That's what we want. Okay. Here is the book to read her name and... Thank you. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening. Whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the event horizon where the impossible happens. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow. And I am your other host, Susan Fox. And with us is the author of Ian Quicksilver, The Warrior's Return, uh, book one. And I assume there are several other books in this series. Uh, her name is Allison Peterson. Welcome to the show. Hello, thank you. It's it's good to be here. <laughs> sort of. I mean, me being where I'm living and you guys where you're living, it's still good to be here regardless. <laughs> We're all here in the event horizon where the, the end of the universe happens. And we're all having drinks. <laughs> But of course, since <laughs> I could go for that, yeah. So, but but since this book is is uh, YA, clearly because it takes place in a high school, the drinks are are milk and Pepsi and you know whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's my story, and I'm sticking right, right. to it. So, <laughs> a great deal of modern fantasy and and some of the science fiction is is devoted to girls and horses, and and a person could just barf. <laughs> Not enough of it. I, I totally agree. It is so difficult to find decent fantasy for boys. It's really, really hard. Okay. Um, we're having bandwidth issues, so if you could turn off your video, since we're not actually yeah, well, broadcasting video, we don't need that sure. channel. Do we need to chase somebody else off the internet, by the way, in the That is an excellent point. Yes. I'm going oh. to go check to Hang see on, let you. me. Yeah, let me go check. Hang on. Yeah, you do the same. <laughs> okay. I need you off the internet, but... Uh-huh, uh-huh. Did I call it? Was her son on? Son of a bitch. Sorry, was her son on? I think so, because she went... Ah, somebody, are you on? Oh, you're not going to watch TV. Sorry, my man yeah. Oh my goodness, sorry about that. No, that's all right. I think it's it's the same as back when we were, you know, starving on the salary we used to uh, dream of. Now we're we're starving on the bandwidth we used to dream of. <laughs> that's understandable. It's just telling my teenage sons, I'm sorry you can't do anything. No phone, no computer. And they're like, <laughs> right. "What? Wait a minute." <laughs> And uh, Jean is doing the same. Charles is, I'm sure, is on, I don't know what game it is this week, but, <laughs> you know, last year this time it was Minecraft. It could be anything now. Oh, yeah. Well, last year for my boys it was uh, Pokemon. This year it's Clash Royale. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's like whatever floats your boat, kiddo. Listen, Pokemon got people out of the house last year. I'm I'm all for it. Yeah, I'm all for that. Yeah, I'm definitely all for that. The problem with the name Pokemon Go, when you run it together, it looks like Poke Mongo. <laughs> Mongo didn't like that for some reason. 
Mongo just pawn in Game of Life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so where are we at? Um... I hate to be, you know, sound all gendered about my fiction, but there's stuff for girls and there's stuff for boys. No matter what's, you know, going through their little heads, there's, you know, people want to see themselves in, in fiction. People want to see, want to be the hero or the heroine, as the case may be. And I think the average American boy is going to see himself in this hero in a hot, in a hot minute. Right. Which is a good thing, because, um, I mean, the whole reason I switched from a uh, girl point of view, I mean, all heroin point of views, um, to all male, uh, was mainly because my sons had the hardest time finding book report books to do, and, um, and ones that they actually enjoyed. And, uh, and of course, anybody, any parent who has kids doing book reports for fourth to sixth grades, it is like pulling teeth. It is such a nightmare. And finding a really good book for teenage boys um, was even more difficult. So uh, for me, that was my, my main goal, is just finding books that they can enjoy, that they can laugh over and really identify with. Yeah, uh, Percy Jackson comes to mind. That's exactly the sort mm-hmm. of thing. We should have talked to him. <laughs> <laughs> But there, there was some, there's great, uh, girl goddesses, demi goddesses in those books. And there's, there's, uh, at least one excellent, uh, girl character in, in, uh, <coughs> excuse me. There's an excellent girl character in Ian Quicksilver. In fact, there wouldn't be a story without her. So tell us a little no. bit about Ian Quicksilver as a character. Uh, Ian, oh, Ian is 100% my oldest son. He is super dry and snarky and, uh, and, but he's full warrior. I mean, he's got that fighting spirit. Um, and he just keeps on trying and trying and trying and never gives up. And, um, I, I think everybody, I mean, not just teen boys need that a little extra boost to know that they're not alone and that life is hard. And to, to give them that idea that, you know, they can make it. They can keep going. They can keep moving forward. And, yeah. and that was, I mean, it was my driving okay. force behind Ian. Cause when I, when I developed him, I laughed. I was like, Oh, this poor kid. I'm going to put him through so much. <laughs> but, um, I, <laughs> I really enjoyed doing it because his attitude on life is just, I wouldn't say it's positive. It's just awfully snarky, but he keeps going. Did he go from, you know, a, a scrawny weakling to, to a stud muffin overnight? Cause it, <laughs> I know it sure seems that way when, when a kid hits a certain age. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I've got two boys and, uh, you know, one just stopped growing and the other one is shooting up and my goodness, it does. And it feels like I am feeding eight instead of two. And, uh, and it really does feel like it cause I blink and I think, Oh my goodness, you're taller than me. How did that happen? So. That's unfair, isn't it? <laughs> I know. Especially sometimes particularly short. <laughs> yeah, it's like a you turn around and suddenly uh, mother and son become a skyscraper with a two-car garage. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. But they're so much fun. I, I mean, I do have to say my boys, they're just the main inspiration for all my characters um, because they're a riot. I, I did not do anything to make them that way. They just came awesome and uh, so funny. And their humor, oh, my goodness, I can crash my car multiple times just laughing over the things that they come up with. And uh, But they're still growing and learning and developing, and it all shows up in the books. So this is um, a, a galactic story, and yet, uh-huh. it's, and yet it's, it's about it's, magic. And yet it's about magic, which is an odd. I mean, we, you know, it's, it's an it's, unusual. It's an unusual, uh, an unusual approach. Right. People tend to go one or the other. Right. Um, I did notice. I do. I am a connoisseur of all things Harry Potter, and I do love it. But they, they, they made. Um, they made magic a little medieval, uh, um, a little primitive. You know, it seems like you know, she put in this very medieval kind of uh, atmosphere. 
And, um, and I really enjoy that, but I really enjoy the futuristic. I'm on another planet. I, you know, I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know how to handle myself. You know, I'm dealing with aliens kind of thing. And, uh, I wanted to really mesh the two and give magic more of a update. So it's not, uh, you know, it's not full science fiction. It's more, you know, it's magical science fiction. Science fantasy. I don't know if I created myself a, yeah, science fantasy. It's science fantasy. It's a genre. It is a thing. So. That's, yeah. you know, that's perfectly valid as a, as a form. Um, so, uh, you had your son to use as a, as a model. I'm wondering who modeled mm-hmm. some of the other folks in the book. I've, I have my mental images of, you know, the, the gym coach from Hack, who turns out to be <laughs> a, actually a, a very strong ally of, of, uh, Ian's. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm just mental. Ho, ho, ho. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh. That's <laughs> no, all good. Um, well, while Ian is my son, Ariana actually is, I hate to admit it, she is very much me. Um, you know, just our, our past and that kind of atmosphere that she was in mirrored mine growing up. And um, the way that she handles herself is very much the way I handled myself as a teenager. And um, But I don't want to really go into details because she had a horrible upbringing, upbringing and so did I. So. Well, and your mm. children, please, uh, please, God, no time soon. Are n- your children are not orphans, <laughs> so yeah, right. <laughs> let's, let's not do that. <laughs> so, how many books um, in the in the Ian Quicksilver series, and how how far out have you charted this? Well, I don't think she's got more than the two at this point. Yeah, I have two. Number three is actually coming out September of two thousand seventeen. Mm-hmm. Ah. Um. So two oh, published so far. Oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah, there's more. That's getting, it's, yeah, that, uh, it, the sudden awareness that that deadline doom is approaching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, especially since I'm, I'm constantly working on new, new projects. So I keep on thinking, oh, yeah, no, that book's coming out next year. Next year is technically this year, in a couple of months. So <laughs> I... I gotta get that around my, wrap my hand around it. Um, I do have one more book to close out the series, um, in the Ian Quicksilver, and then I've got other books coming out. Um, I just, I just really enjoy the universe that I created. So I actually created a new series on a different planet with a different species of alien. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it's a, it's totally the same, uh, galactic universe, same galactic, uh, you know, galactic civilization. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but you know, just on a different planet. And so, and it's just been a whole, a whole lot of fun. So I just, I'm not ready to leave my universe yet. <laughs> you shouldn't have to. No one says you have to. You can stay. Well, and yeah, I know. It's lovely. <laughs> Frank, Frank Herbert spent so much time building his world and the, uh, his kid won't leave. Yeah. His kid won't <laughs> yeah, leave. And the, and the, the, uh, um, the uh, writer's guide for that world is like 600 pages. Mm-hmm. It, it's like it, uh, uh, it's bigger than most novels to start with. Just, just, oh, yeah. just that. And yeah. uh, if you've invested that kind of time and energy into world building, there's no reason you should have to leave. You can write right. 30 books in this in in this universe, and right. probably never get tired of it. No, well, and my notes on just uh, the the systems of each planet and what each planet is responsible for, um, you know, their their social structures and that sort of thing are so extensive. It's ridiculous. And I keep on thinking, well, I don't know if ever this will reach the page ever, but um, it does add color while I'm um, while I'm writing, you know, and, and of course, you know, there were hints dropped, especially in book two about other planets and, um, and why warriors are so essential to the galaxy as a whole. And, um, and also, you know, the Garfellians, why they're so important, you know, it's just, they really are the quintessential war and peace planets. And you really can't live without one or the other. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, and then of course I was like, well, what are the other planets doing that really need these two planets? And then all of a sudden I'm, you know, I'm, I'm making a list and what these people look like. And, you know, some of them have a third eye in the middle of their forehead. And, but why is that necessary type thing, you know? And 
and you know it's just a lot of fun I, I just can't help myself and I then of course I think to myself I should probably sit down and write because my deadlines are coming up <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you know the worlds that the, the greater world that you're you're living in and you're writing in, and it adds. Even if we don't ever see the planet Glorp, knowing that it's there and that the you know the Glorpian, um, you know pork pies are the best. Mm-hmm. You know, it's whatever it is. What, just don't laugh at me. Yeah, but it adds richness. You see, it is a complete world. Just, we may never see it. We may never see more than a corner of it. Yeah, I'm right. just but it's there. These, these pies full of glorp. <laughs> Don't knock oh. until you've tried it, buddy. <laughs> oh, you know, my writing partner and I, we sat down and she said, you know, you really need to have Ian, you know, especially in book three. I mean, we're all off planet, off Earth. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she's like, you really need to have Ian miss Earth a little bit so that your readers aren't just dumped into the middle of the galaxy. Like they have some grounding. Mm-hmm. As to, you know, what he's experiencing. And I thought, well, how am I going to do that? I mean, he's on a completely different planet clear across the galaxy. And, uh, we brainstormed for forever. And she's like, you know, what would be really funny is if the food was absolutely disgusting. There are no Pop Tarts anywhere but Earth. That's right. And, and I was like, oh, like if it moved, you know, like you want worms and they just love it and like a little crunch and then a little feet running over their tongue as they swallow kind of thing. And she's like, oh, that's horrible. Do it. (laughs) (laughs) What is the worst possible thing you can do to your characters? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, and of course, I have one planet in book three. Um, There's Ulfin and Bantif that have been warring, and they're going to finally just end the war that they've been warring for centuries. And uh, and so the warriors of Bank here are going, and they're going to end this war once and for all. And, and Ian is very invested in this war because Olfen is the, it's like the breadbasket of the galaxy and, and it's the only normal good tasting food is, comes from that one planet <laughs> and he is going to save that planet. <laughs> that's, that's, these are kids, terrible. kids priorities. Now, if they only oh, yeah. had, if they only had Pokemon Go, you know? Yeah, I know, I know. But really, honestly, when I, when I talked to my sons about book three, um, and my oldest, especially, he's like, priorities, mom, like the food. Priorities. <laughs> <laughs> so Pizza Planet is not just a name of a restaurant. That's right. I was oh, going to mention right. that. You beat me to it. Sorry. <laughs> you don't want to know where they get the milk for the cheese. Oh, just no, don't I ask. Sure don't. I sure don't. Um. <laughs> Oh, you know, it was really funny. As I told you, I have notes. So, yes, mm-hmm. I do know where the milk comes for the galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this is this is what gives, uh, as Susan was saying, this is what gives uh, the world that uh, that you build as a writer so much substance. Uh, the The sense that if you keep peeling back layers, you're going to find more world underneath. And right. there's more of it waiting in the wings that you can't see. You're just... Uh, uh, you're just not happening to look in that direction, but you know in your head that it's there because right. every time, uh, every time you look in some random direction, uh, you're going to see a little bit of texture of that world that may not necessarily have anything to do with the plot, but it does give you the sense that it's a real place. You know, there's a, right. there's a trash collector with a headache that day schlepping around, you know, and, <laughs> and we don't know why he has a headache, but he's there, you know, he's a, right. there's, there's people. It is, it is a inhabited place. Right. Right. And, and I really wanted my galaxy fully inhabited and, and that's what just um, adds color because I mean, I, I really, it's like, um, there was a book that really influenced me. It was The Rhythmatist by Brandon Sanderson. Mm. And he, he, he broke apart the United States into single islands. And each island had a purpose and, and what they were known for, which is really what, um, the United States is like. It's like the West Coast is known for something. The West is known for something. Midwest and South and Northwest and Northeast. Um, you know, they're all, very specific and I had to I had to leave the West um, and experience the South and the Midwest for me to really understand that it's more than just what you hear on TV or, or hear on the radio about 
you know, Southern charm and Midwestern, um, you know, Cajun and, uh, you know, and their attitude and what they're there for. And, um, and when I, once I experienced it, I was like, wow, I mean, we're really not separate people, but we're very distinct people and what we say, how we act. And it really added color to, um, my novel because I, I didn't want, um, I didn't want a New York or a London mm-hmm. where it's, it is a melting pot of people and traditions and cultures. I really wanted specific. Each planet is very specific. And, and of course each character is very specific. I've, I had a lot of people ask me about Corbin Mm-hmm. Um, because they're like, boy, Corbin lets little truth bombs drop where you know he's been there, done that. Mm-hmm. And but what was it? And uh, and I keep on thinking, I think Corbin could have his own series by himself because he's an incredibly complex and multi-layered, multi-faceted person. And, uh, but I mean, they all ended up that way. I mean, it's just, just because Ian's story is being told. Ariana could have her own story. Um, you know, Silvis could have his own series and Corbin and, you know, but that's just, that's the stuff that makes me happy. You really could do a prequel to what led to the situation that, uh, Ian and Ariana are in, you know, the, uh-huh. yeah. And, Sundering. and Corbin was an integral part of yes. that. Yeah, and, well, uh, he, every, like he's he's letting us know bit by bit about that, isn't he? <laughs> oh, yeah. Story goes on. Yeah. yeah, and book three is then fantastic because he lets drop even more, and then you get to see how people uh, react to him being uh, back from exile, and he's not welcome. <laughs> I got the <laughs> feeling they wouldn't be happy to see him. No, well, because not only was he right, you know. He's, he's back and, uh, and lived to tell the tale. And cause most, most, uh, warriors, they, they would go to exile and they would stoically take it. You know, it would be mm-hmm. their honor. And, uh, but Corbin's not that way. So. Uh, so much of galactic, um, civilization, uh, in writing has to do with the, uh, has to do with dispensing with the idea that all of these places are really so distant. Um, can you talk about how the galactic civilization is knit together in terms of uh, its socialization as a culture? Obviously, if we're supplying food from planet to planet, they've they've licked the whole problem of you know it taking ten thousand years to get there. Right, right. And that's where I really wanted to bring in and update magic. Because um, magic is like the Amazon of the galaxy. I mean, it's like, you want that in two days? Well, I can get there in one, you know, mm-hmm. type thing. It's, you know, um, everything is just, it's very intricately, um, it's set up very specifically. And I, I know that portals are used a lot. Um, but it's very magically based. Some portals are one way, some are two way, some are dropped off a cliff, some are in a bathtub, some are just straight through a, a doorway. I mean, it's really just wherever magic has set upon that planet. And, um, and, and those doorways can be closed and temporary or permanently. And, you know, cause magic to me is just as predictable and organized as unpredictable and completely organic. And, um, and these are things that Ian gets to discover, of course. And, you know, and as he's discovering the planets, he's realizing how important, um, the Garfellians and the Bankerians are, are to the entire galaxy. And, and of course, their entire ecosystem completely depends on them and vice versa. And so it's, it's a deeply nepotistic galaxy, deeply. So that solves that solves that problem. Are there uh, are there conventional uh, interstellar transport as well, or is it completely reliant on portals? Well, it's just that magic is uh, it, any any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, as Arthur C. Clarke said. You, these are natural laws; you just don't know what they are yet. Oh, right. I see. I know that, um, you know, Ian brings up frequently in book three, you know, he comments to Corwin, you know, like, well, why don't we have spaceships or, you know, then what's the point of gravity? And he, and of course Corwin's like, 
Well, because you've been on Earth. Earth has no magic. They have to compensate. So, you know, in the galaxy where they're away from Earth and they're back on bank here in Garfell, um, they don't have to compensate anymore. So, you know, things like a spaceship or, you know, cars and, you know, boats and that sort of thing are just really kind of nonsensical, nonsensical things that, you know, they kind of look down their nose at Ian for, even suge- suggesting, um, because it's such an Earth construct. Because Earth, ha- the poor floundering Earth, has to, you know, handle things without magic, you know, and it really is, even though we think we're so technologically advanced, um, you know, they're like, oh, those poor Earth people. <laughs> they're so well, behind the rest of the galaxy. <laughs> yeah, but but they could be a model for the rest of the galaxy if if a uh, certain magician takes all the magic for himself and doesn't leave anyone for anyone else, and then what exactly. will they do? Exactly, which makes, of course, Ian and Ariana's plight so much more important. It's more than just, uh, you know, what they have to do to be together. Um, it's what, you know, and, and just their, oh, their poor... But you know, um, arranged marriage. <laughs> they're, I mean, they're really in a tight spot because it's more than just, oh yeah, we have to combine our two planets and our kingdoms. It is we have to unite the entire galaxy because if we don't, we're all going to be in trouble. No pressure. Yeah. No. No pressure. <laughs> that that is a lot of pressure to put on somebody who is still trying to figure out who they are as a person. Right. Right, that, which Ian has not found out yet. I thought an SAT was a lot of pressure at 16. <laughs> yes, yeah. No, I uh, I have a lot of boys at my house, um, more than just my sons. And the, the, the amazing thing is that these boys come and they talk and they laugh and they tell stories and that sort of thing. And more and more I realize that if this is our future, it's going to be amazing. Because these kids can handle a lot. You'd be amazed how much teenagers can handle. Thank goodness, because we're not leaving them a great world. (laughs) It's not a utopia yet. No. No, not not even close. This is, uh, this sort of brings up something that uh, I was thinking of a couple minutes ago uh, when we were talking about how Earth uh, is has all these the technology and uh, the rest of the universe is looking looking at them going oh this poor disadvantaged this poor disadvantaged planet and if things go upside down earth it puts earth in a dominant position um, oh you want cars well let's see <laughs> what can you give us for that <laughs> yeah earth would definitely be a superpower mhm and it, it's like um uh, Susan and I are both in the Society for Creative Anachronism, and uh, one of the <laughs> yes. one of the things that uh, uh, you know happens is is that you learn how things were done five hundred years ago before we had uh, electrical power to do them. So or, it isn't a crackpot or, hobby. I'm building a a post apocalyptic skill set. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yep. You bring me a sheep, I can make you a sweater. It won't be fast, but I can do it. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> and and it's the same sort of thing. You know, it's it's uh, uh, the the idea that a culture can turn upside down because something some major thing happens, and then what how uh, how that culture deals with it uh, can be. Um, dependent on the rules that you build into your world model. And that, that gets back to the world building question. Well, the problem is Earth is in the furthest spot in the galaxy. You know, if there's a bright spot to the universe, Earth, Earth, Earth is, is the, the place it's farthest, farthest from. from. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know how they get there mm. or ship their, their, you know, Apollo capsules or whatever. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you're, you're really bringing up, uh, a lot of the backstory for book four. So thank you for doing that. Um, <laughs> I see. Spoilers. Uh, well, I mean, I was brainstorming when I was brainstorming book four, my thoughts were, uh, what am I going to do to the galaxy? What's Earth's role in it? And, um, I really wanted to pull Earth into the fray. And, 
uh, I wasn't quite sure if I would drop more aliens in on Earth or if it would be absolutely necessary for these aliens to find refuge somewhere and and how they would be received. Um, so, well, it depends I mean, it, everything de- is... Hmm? I think it would depend if they looked like a sea urchin or if they looked like a cute kitty cat, you know? Depends yeah, how they'd yeah. be received. Well, I have, you know, the people of you laugh have a, fir- a third eye on their forehead because they always have to watch the volcanoes to make sure, you know, what's blowing, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I mean, I've got some funky looking people. Um, but most of it was what, what would they do? Because at the end of book three, everybody's at war and they're at war with themselves. And it's, it's definitely a civil war and there's a big break between tradition and the future. Ian being the future and tradition being everything he's missed out on for the past 16 years. Um, so, uh, but yeah, no, you, you, you nailed book four. So thank you. <laughs> oh, oops. <laughs> Spoiler alert! No, you're great. <laughs> I'm, 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 I don't know. He's pointing at me and going, well, next question. <laughs> next. No, it's all good. So tell us about yourself a little. Where did you, where, how did you come here? Where, where, where were you creatively? That brought you to this place. Um, that, that question, well, the form of the question, made no sense at all. <laughs> no, hey, well, I'm I'm a writer. I will make up something from that question. No problem. <laughs> no worries. Um, I, I grew up the youngest of eight kids um, in in northern Utah, right close to the Idaho border, in this farm that was just literally out in the middle of nowhere. And we were city slickers. We came from, you know, the avenues, which is downtown Salt Lake City, to, uh, you know, our closest neighbor being a quarter mile of away. And uh, my, my dad just upped and moved us there because he always wanted to be out in the country. And I really did have to go from city mentality to having to just make up stuff to you know, not be bored out of our minds. And, uh, me and my sister especially were particularly creative and not in always in the best possible way. <laughs> <laughs> I was telling my sons about this just over dinner and, and they looked at me like, if we did that, you would kill us. Not even kill, like slaughter us. And I'm thinking, yeah, I know I would. I really. <laughs> <laughs> And, and but it was just uh we were just desperate for any sort of entertainment so we did a lot of things to that uh ranch that probably shouldn't have been done but we grew up with a lot of cows and horses chickens rabbits um and we we were so stinking poor we had to grow everything and that was our food and uh cuz i mean eight kids on a teacher salary and a high school teacher salary is just it's not feasible so um so we, we grew up very different. And of course I grew up in the eighties and the nineties where every single one of my friends is talking about Nintendo and what video game they're playing mm-hmm. and you know, what latest sitcom they're watching. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, I just completely helped my dad calve a cow <laughs> at 2 a.m. and then did milking by hand at six and you know and just like barely scraped in the shower so I do not smell like cows before going to school I mean that's that's just what we did and uh, I felt like I was entirely behind the rest of my classmates and uh, but we worked uh, we had an incredible work ethic that followed me right into into adulthood and um, and then it just shaped who I was because really Anybody who goes through the experiences we had growing up, either you're going to be really bitter and angry or you're going to have a sense of humor about it. And thankfully, most of my family had a really good sense of humor about it because we, we talk about it now and laugh. And like, <laughs> I can't believe we did that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh. it's almost surreal. And the stories uh, I could tell about my own childhood. But oh. <laughs> we'll save that for another episode. You went fishing. Right. Well, I mean, you went fishing for chickens, didn't you? No, no, no <laughs> I never went fishing for chickens. <laughs> I did other weird. Oh, <laughs> hey, 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 language. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 
I did other weird stuff. No, I and I totally understand. I just uh That'll you know, be an and, edit. <laughs> yeah, well yeah, you'll catch an edit. You'll do a bleep, no problem. Um one particular that I mean, just cracks my sons up is that we my dad did not like the horses at all. He didn't like them. And if we had to round up cattle, he would take the horses out, which is the obvious answer. Um, and he wouldn't do it. And so we would chase those cows everywhere. And finally he's like, okay, they're too fast. Let's get in the farm truck and chase them down, which is asinine. What? I don't know why he thought that was okay. So, uh, I mean, we're just going all over the fields trying to get these cows through the break in the fence so that we can, you know, get them back into corral where they belong. And we're, we're having a heyday, me and my sister, because there's no seat belts in that truck and we're bouncing all over the place <laughs> and hitting the ceiling and almost flying out the window. And, you know, and my dad's like, this isn't working. And we had been at it for hours and hours. And, uh, and finally I was like, well, let me saddle up the horse and see if I, what I can do. And it took me 15 minutes. Oh. And, you know, <laughs> was the right tool for the right job. <laughs> yeah. And he was just, he was so incredibly angry and it, and it's just, and it really did show because later that season, um, our, one of our cows calved and she calved right in the middle of the barn briar, which is, you know, I mean, a good knee deep in, in muck and it was yeah. raining cats and dogs. And, uh, you know, and of course my dad's like, well, you've got little arms, you know, just reach in that cow and pull the calf out. <laughs> And I'm thinking to myself, why am I doing this? Why? <laughs> so, so of course, that means she was decaffeinated. <laughs> that was very awesomely punned. I have like been waiting for you. I've been waiting for years to use that one. Come on. <laughs> I, I, I definitely decaffeinated her. And, and coming from a farming community, I think I was the only uh, one of my friends who had ever calved a calf and it, which was amazing to me because they all came from enormous dairy farms. And I was thinking to myself, how could you not? I mean, doesn't your dad tell you to go in there because you have smaller arms? I mean, why? <laughs> they hire people for that if they've got enormous farms. Oh yeah. Oh, well, yes, definitely. They always have help, but, but it was just, it was a crazy, crazy life. And the more I, I grew up and I met my husband, he is off of a ranch as well. It was, and, um, we moved our sons and I, we went to Oklahoma and, uh, the South is a whole nother country. It is. <laughs> yeah. It can be lovely. It is lovely. It is lovely. And, and bless their hearts. They're the sweetest, nicest people in their crazy, crazy lives. And, uh, I just remember we, we bought our house and we bought it really quickly and we went to, uh, my husband hadn't seen me. He just trusted me that it was a decent house. <sighs> and, uh, the night we showed up, we went by and the neighbor's house had this toilet out on the front lawn and flowers blooming out of the bowl. And my husband went, Oh my gosh, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I said, I have, I have no idea. So we got everything moved in and that night, um, a whole slew of tornadoes came through. Oh, and, really? and really, uh, it, it was, it was utterly surreal because uh, we just had barely bought this house and we had a tornado touchdown, oh, quarter mile away and went right past our house. <laughs> and I, and it really was. And welcome to Oklahoma. <laughs> oh, wow. There, so, but for the grace of God, oh, holy yeah. cow! Didn't scare you off though, apparently. Well, no, well, because I mean, I grew up with the the mentality that you follow your husband wherever he gets his job, and uh, and my husband's like, well, I can't quit. I haven't even started yet. Hmm. <laughs> we just bought this house. We better stay, you know. And uh, and we just we were at the tail end of tornado season when we moved, and. Uh, that that was something else. When you look out the front of windows and there is a tornado just following the turnpike straight down the highway. Oh, right past the house. And uh I just remember thinking, this is going to be an adventure. 
And, and it really was eight years of an adventure and it was fantastic. I mean, I wouldn't trade those years for the world, but we had a lot of cliches. It was pretty crazy. You know, of course, the, the I just picture the, the borderline between fantasy and reality. And then this is where Allison Peterson says, and then the next thing that happened was that the, <laughs> the tornado took a left onto the interstate. And <laughs> You know, it's it's like a Twister movie home game. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, really, honestly, there are things that happen in Oklahoma that really, I, I mean, I thought that I had a crazy life before I moved. Um, it, it exponentially went crazier. And, and there was this one, we would plan, we had to watch the news every single time a tornado season happened. And because there was the same house. I swear, every year that it just got wiped off the map. And <laughs> it was right in the middle of Tornado Alley. I mean, the whole state is right in the middle of Tornado Alley, but it's on the flattest, flattest plateau of Oklahoma. And finally, I think on our eighth year there, they were saying, like, this house had been wiped out and rebuilt like a grand total of 14 times but it was the most exciting thing ever we would map it out and try to figure out where the tornado was and if it was going to wipe out that single house <laughs> you know just did they did they say you know call for a son of a bitch or what i mean I <laughs> what the hell i know i know really and it was so, like well, a lot of people and especially um we we had this one particular weatherman and and he was just had this fabulous dry humor and he was like oh lord bless those people oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> and so, of course you know, all my neighbors are like did they not say their prayers had they not been saved people had they not been saved <laughs> So all of this stuff feeds back into the creative well that well, uh, that you have as a writer. It does explain why so many you know great fantasy writers have come out of Oklahoma, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. You've got your C.J. Cherry. You've got your Mercedes Lackey. You know, it's just suddenly it's this wellspring of weird. Uh huh. Yeah, wellspring oh, of weird. Oh, weird. <laughs> In the most fantastic way. And I, I thought it might just be Oklahoma, but I've been through Arkansas and Texas and, uh, and of course all over Kansas and Nebraska and all that. That's not the South, but even the Midwest has this particular way that they do things. And, um, but they're all fantastic, fantastic people. But really, honestly, I mean, there, there are a few things where you have to slow down, slam on the brakes and take a good long look. Because you're never going to see that again. <laughs> and I mean, this, as I was saying, this this has to be uh, feeding your writing. I mean, this is a tr what a tremendous wellspring of experience to draw upon. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's just oh, I'm the the whole. I never. I didn't graduate in English. I had no interest in writing. I was an artist. I did mm -hmm. painting. I watercolor specifically. Um, when we moved to Oklahoma, I lost my desire completely to paint. I don't know what got into me, but it was like a writer's block for painting. I just had no desire for it. And um, I would write home uh, it, at least once a week, if not once every two weeks, on weird things that I'd seen or people had said or done. Um, you know, I, I had that one neighbor with the toilet out front. I mean, he was just golden for crazy. And it was fantastic because every new thing, his my favorite one is when his his air conditioning in his van broke. And in the South, you have to have air conditioning or you lose brain cells. No, yeah. It's, it's life support. Hot. Yeah. And he, you know, he found an old swamp cooler at the junkyard and he bungee corded and duct taped it to the top of his van. I can just picture that. That must have been... It was fantastic. A sight the, to see. The aerodynamics of a brick, but it, <laughs> but I bet it worked. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure it worked great. And he had, you know, um, 
the, the big gallon jugs and duct tape to the back and, you know, and he had it running and he was fantastic. So I'd write this kind of thing back to my family in, in Utah and they just thought it was a riot. And, and of course it's saying, you know, you need to write this down and make a memoir out of it, but I hate writing memoir. I don't like, I, I just, I'm not a fan. So I thought, well, but I can make it into fantasy because nobody's going to believe half the thing that happened down here to me. And because really, I didn't believe it. I really didn't. <laughs> I mean, my my best friend in Oklahoma, she went to a Justin Bieber concert with her daughter. And she sent me a text and she said, it is so bleepity bleep loud here. I have to put tampons in my ears. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I don't believe you. <laughs> you know, you do what you got to do. Oh, yeah. And I was like, you are lying. I Show me a picture. So, yeah, she selfied herself. With the white strings coming out. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is awesome. That is just awesome. (laughs) And and really, honestly, when I came back to Utah, my, and you know, you go to the grocery store and it is an event. People talk to you, you talk about recipes, you talk about food and spices and what's going on in your kids' lives. I mean, I made friends with people that I lived on the other side of town and I had never met before, but they instantly become your best friend because it's the South. Uh-huh. That's that's the only reason. It's because it's the South. And when I moved back to Utah, um, I went to the grocery store and I started talking to this lady. And she gave me this most dry look, like, excuse me? Who do you get away from me? <laughs> Weirdo. <laughs> and, and she very, very obviously and, and dramatically, like, packed her kids into the cart and hurried off as fast as she could. I thought, Oh, this is culture shock too. Oh wow! <laughs> mm-hmm. So it goes it, it goes both ways, but I mean, even stodgy Utah has, uh, you know, the stodginess is just as humorous to me as the craziness of the South. So you find it everywhere. What a contrast! Have you been to any of the science fiction conventions in the South? They're wonderful. Oh, they're fantastic. Yeah. They just the fan- Fanish Good Fellowship plus the the Southern Charm and, and you know. Oh, yeah. Just just a very powerful combination. Oh, yeah. But my absolute favorites are um, when the real hard-stomping Bible-preaching pastors get together. And, and that to me is, is fantastic. It is utterly fascinating. And a lot of my dialogue has been gleaned from the way that they talk, how they inflect what they say. And, oh, but it, I mean, really, I don't really, and this is horrible. I'm, I'm going to get hit by lightning because I just love listening to not how, what they're saying, but how they say it because it's fascinating. I don't see anything objectionable about that. There's music in every speech. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, they're, I mean, and especially if they're colored. I don't know if that's incredibly racist or insensitive, but um, I had the most fun talking to the people who were, you know, they've been, they're black and they've been in the South their entire lives and their parents, 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 parents have been there their entire lives. And, um, you know, I mean, you can't even go to the DMV. And I'm not, I'm not lying about this. Oh my gosh, seriously. Truth is stranger than fiction. I went to the DMV to get new license plates on my brand new car. And this lady, she's like, you know, is this your car? And I said, yes, you know, let's just go through the motions. And we just started talking because it's Oklahoma. You talk. Uh-huh. And she looks out the door and she says, Oh, is that your car? And I said, yeah. She's like, Oh, damn girl. You did good. (laughs) I said, thank you. My husband bought it for me. And she, I kid you not, she about took down the roof. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Praise the Lord God Almighty that there are good men in this world. And I was like, oh my gosh, there is a line and people are staring. There you are at the front of it. Oh my God. Oh my goodness. She put. She put her hands on me and she blessed me and Lord save you and your beautiful husband. 
And and I was like, this is the DMV. <laughs> yeah, I'm just here to get my registration. You know, but it's all about love, isn't it? Come on. I guess so. Very loving people. Yeah. Very, very loving people. And I, I do miss that. I do miss that. Because I went to the DMV just last week, and I thought, I could use some praise the Lord in here, but it's going to be more like swearing, not praising. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's most people's, uh, most people's experience with the DMV leaves them more ready to swear at it than by it. Oh, you right. you will get like the one good person in every no. o- every office has one nice person. Anyway, um, the uh, your life experiences of have obviously uh, bled into your writing to a, a magnificent degree. Uh, the book we are discussing is Ian Quicksilver: The Warriors Return, the first book of two published so far, and and at least two to go. And we are talking to the author, Allison Peterson. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Event Horizon. It has been a real pleasure. And you have been a delight to talk to. Oh, thank you. It's been fun. It's been very, very fun. You have been listening to episode 163 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for March 5th, 2017. Our guest this afternoon was Allison Peterson, writer and creator of the Ian Quicksilver series of young adult novels. Your hosts have been Gene Turnbow and Susan Fox. This is the second episode to air in its new time slot of 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. And if you started listening at 9 p.m. Pacific or midnight Eastern, it's because we didn't want you to miss the show because you didn't get the memo or you forgot. Next week, though, you're on your own. (laughs) This episode will air again at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern tomorrow afternoon, that's Sunday, and two more times on the following Thursday and Saturday mornings at 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern. Once all the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode and others on iTunes, Stitcher, and on our own website at kryptonradio.com as podcasts. Krypton Radio is listener-supported geek culture radio, and though some of our money does come from advertising, most of it comes from avid listeners just like you. If you enjoy listening to Krypton Radio, please help us out so that we can stay on the air. Visit patreon.com slash kryptonradio and contribute whatever you can. Even $5 a month makes an enormous difference because it all adds up. Single drops of water can add up to a tidal wave, and that can keep your favorite radio station and shows like this one on the air and thriving. If you are an artist, writer, actor, or other creator and you would like to appear as a guest on the Event Horizon, please contact our production manager, Kat Carter, at katcarter at kryptonradio.com. Do visit patreon.com slash kryptonradio and contribute. It would really help us out. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by science fiction illustrator Mark Schurmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christian Cherry. And the captain was voiced by science fiction grandmaster Larry Niven. This program is copyright 2017 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. <laughs>